This episode is powered by Safety FM. The Crucial Talks Podcast with your host, Mike Saddam. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Saddam, and welcome back to the Crucial Talks Podcast. Now, most of you know I am pretty passionate about workplace experience. I mean, we spend a lot of time in the workplace. So things like leadership, communication, and resilience are huge topics that I like to get into. Now, safety is another one of those topics because protecting employees in the workplace so that they go home healthy every day is another big part of workplace experience. And that's why I'm excited to welcome Michael King to the Crucial Talks podcast. Now, Mike is a safety manager at U.S. Engineering, and he improves safety culture through employee engagement and team building. Now, I know we hear terms like that a lot. Sometimes they're even overused, but that's why I'm happy Mike is here to talk with us, because to him, it's more than just words. He's actually in the trenches doing the work to improve safety. And anytime I have the chance to talk to somebody like that, someone that has not only a strategic view, but also tactical experience. It always seems to be such a great conversation, and that's why I'm always so thankful when I get to talk to these folks who are out there doing the good work. So without further ado, let's welcome Michael King to the Crucial Talks podcast. How are you today, Mike? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Mike. Um, It's kind of weird. We're both named Mike, but that's kind of cool. Um, We all know the the cool guys are named Mike. Yeah, Um, we'll forget about the fact it's one of the most uh, popular names out there. But yeah, most of us guys named Mike are pretty cool, so... (laughs) So, um, like she said, I'm a safety manager. I've been I've been working in safety for I'm thinking this is my 13th year now. Um, I've had the privilege of working in the trenches as well as working at the director level and then back down into the trenches again. Um, and both of them have their benefits. You know, the things that you love, and there's other parts in both that you don't love nearly as much. Um, I've also worked at the general contractor level and then at the subcontractor level as well. And currently in my role with U.S. Engineering, I'm working at the subcontractor level to um, a large uh, general contractor and, and, a, and a big uh, corporate client. Well, I find this kind of interesting. And, you know, we're going to be talking a lot about different safety components and things like that, issues people are dealing with. But what I find interesting of in what you just said is, you have all of this experience. You've worked in the trenches. You've worked at the director level in organizations. But what I find interesting is you're also dealing with general contractors and subcontractors. Now, with that level of experience, have you seen a difference in dealing with either your own organization versus a contractor? Because to me, it seems like cultures can differ so often that do you find that when you're dealing with a subcontractor that – you have to account for the culture in their own organization as opposed to your own. Oh, absolutely. Um, lots of times the subcontractors don't have the same resources as the, as the general contractors do. And um, as a general contractor, we have a lot of demand. And, and one of the reasons for the demand is that we're liable for any violations or any incidents that a subcontractor has. Um, and so we need to... Uh, make sure that we're protected as a general. Um, but let's not take away the aspect that we actually do care about the worker at that worker level. So um, 
my approach to that has always been trying to coach up the subcontractor and assist them with um, increasing their program as opposed to just making demands. Well, I like that a lot because you have a lot of a lot of uh, background in behavior-based safety. Is that right? Yes, that's uh, really my my primary focus um, is understanding why people are working the way they do and figuring out is is it because it's easier for them or is it because they don't know and, and trying to address things at that level. Well, and this is where I kind of want the conversation to go because I've seen some, I don't want to say false. I just think some people don't don't know enough or, or got sold a bill of goods or, or learned the wrong way. But I see a lot of conversations about behavior-based safety and people saying it's just the observation is to catch people doing stuff wrong. But what I like about what you said is you really have, have hit what behavior-based safety is supposed to be about. And it's about, and you said yourself, about caring about the worker at the worker level and that your approach has been to coach up. I really like that because the negative things that you hear about behavior-based safety aren't really, that's not accurate in my opinion because it really has always been about the worker and caring about the worker. So when we're, we're talking about behavior-based safety and your approach to the worker, how do you how do you actually do that caring part? I mean, we understand the observations and the checklist, but after that, there's got to be feedback. There's got to be interaction. How do you do that at that kind of human level? How do you communicate? All right. So at, there's a few things there. One, I think a lot of people misunderstand behavior-based safety. It's it's really not about catching people in the act and putting out discipline and that saying, you know, aha, I got you. That's really more of the safety cop type of thing. Um, Behavior based is really getting in with the people doing the work and understanding and building those relationships. Um, Safety, behavior based safety and safety management is most effective if you're taking a servant attitude to the team because those workers, they're really the tip of the spear. They're doing the work and the work pays the bills. Uh, their work pays my salary. So I'm out there to help them. Um, So I have to get to know them. I have to build that trust. And um, there's three components to my philosophy on building trust. One is being very attentive. Uh, Being attentive to the workers is to understanding how they work, why they work that way, what they need in order to be successful, Um, listening to them and their conversations taking what they say seriously, and then providing that feedback as soon as possible. Um, the other part to that, when after being attentive, you also have to be reliable. So if they need you, you need to be available to them. If they ask you for something, you need to respond you know, quickly. If, even if the answer is going to be, no, we can't do that, you got to let them know. Otherwise, they're not going to feel heard. And if they don't feel heard, then they're not going to value you as a service. Um, The third part of it is to be consistent. And that really means when they ask you for something and you come back and say, no, we're not going to be able to do that, that you're doing that behavior every time. So it's a safety behavior for us as a service provider to the workers um, as much as it is for the workers um, providing their work to us. So if we if we do those things, if we're attentive to their needs and to the communications, 
if we're reliable um, and providing the feedback and being a service provider to them and we're consistent in that behavior, we're going to build that trust. And when you have relationships with the workers, they will also understand that if they take a shortcut, that safety guy is probably going to get in trouble as well. So they'll start looking out for you just as much as you look out for them. I like that, what you just said there, because you're you're really saying you're not going in there as the safety cop. You're not going in there. Your whole goal is not to be the outsider looking from the, the stands at the work being done on the field. You want to be embedded with them. You want to be part of their team where you're all working together toward this common goal of getting work done, being successful, but doing that in a way that's that's really beneficial for everybody, and that includes doing work safely. Absolutely, and um, if we, if, when we meet with our crews, and we do it, you know, every morning when they're filling out their daily uh, JHA's job hazard analysis, um, we go through it, and we do an audit, and when we approach that audit, it's not a aha, you messed it up. It's you know, this is good. What what are we missing? How can we make this better for you guys? Um, and we spend a lot of time informing our workers at weekly toolboxes daily in the field that we are a service provider. If we see something wrong, it's not a aha, we got you. It's, hey, we know that you're busy and we know that you have a lot of things to do and you are very skilled at what you do and I'm very skilled at mine. And so we're going to work together to make sure that we match up. And I really like this too. So every morning people do this job hazard analysis, right? They get ready to do the prepare for the work they're going to do. Now I've heard from some people that sometimes they do these things and it's a checkbox. It's a, we have to do it. So let's just do it, get it out of the way and then go do the work. But what I like about what you're saying is, your approach is not that it's a checkbox. That it's not something they just have to do because it's a rule or it's a policy. You use it as a learning opportunity to engage with the worker so that you're taking this more of a positive approach, strength-based approach, learning approach to, hey, is this really the way you're going to get it done? Is there uh, or are there things we can improve? What can we do to make the work you're about to do safer yet still effective and efficient. Absolutely. And I think doing the JHAs, I think the most effective way is for like the foreman to write down the task that they're going to perform that day. And he's designated because he's the one that's lining the guys out for the work. So that makes the most sense. But I think that's the part that he should go ahead and fill out. He could even fill out that portion of it the night before, but the morning of the work, have that crew together and say, okay, here's the task and have the, the crew provide what the risks are associated with that particular task and the solutions for mitigating that risk. And then you get other people chiming in. And interesting enough, you end up with a better JHA because more people are providing information from different experiences and different perspectives. Well, I really like that a lot too, because it sounds like what you're doing is the foreman writes down, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is what we need to accomplish. But the foreman isn't coming into that role as the dictator saying, and I'm going to give you the risk and what you do to mitigate those. All that foreman is doing is, hey, this is our goal and we're sharing this goal. 
Now that foreman is going to get feedback from everybody on that crew to help determine, hey, these are the risks we're dealing with, and this is how we mitigate them. This is how we're going to do the work. Absolutely. And eventually those apprentices are going to become foremen and they're going to already, this is going to be old hat to them. Well, I like that also because it seems like what you're doing, I mean, you're a culture guy. Like I I can see that already. You're a human behavior guy. You're somebody that's like, let's deal with people. It's people. Because what you just said there is that, hey, the crew is going to provide this information. The crew is going to help with the solutions. The crew is not being looked at as, hey, you guys are just a bunch of problems that you're going to mess up and we want to make sure you don't mess up. You're actually getting value from what they say. So they become part of the solution. But what I really like and why I can already tell you're a, you're a people person, a human behavior person, a culture person is because you just recognize that, hey, these guys that are on the crew, they're given the information in in a few years or even sooner or maybe a little bit later, they're going to be the foreman. And now you're building out this culture where this just becomes a good way to do business. This becomes normal for them. Absolutely. Um, and currently, we w- I'm, I'm working with a, a union company. And so what happens is when things slow down, these workers leave and they go to different companies. And, and there's a couple of things to that. One, these people go and they have the opportunity to bring that safety message to another company that may not be as strong, but also we've taught them they leave. Eventually they're going to come back because they're going to get laid off when that project comes up and they get a call out from the hall and they come back to us. And so even if we haven't seen them for two years, when they come back, they're already familiar and it's the learning curve just keeps decreasing and decreasing. Wow. That I think is pretty powerful because it's not, and and I like how you're doing business because it's not this hierarchy where you have much control because these folks, they're not going to work for you or for your company all the time. So you don't have this kind of top down authoritarian control over people that they have to do what you say. You have to take this approach that you need it to be an ingrained part of them that they see the value so that it carries on long after they're not working with you anymore. Absolutely. Um, the way I, I've talked with uh, foremen and superintendents, because some places you, you, they're still trying to figure out their culture and in some places wanted the safety guy. Hey, if you see the infraction, we want you to write that person up or give them that work written warning. And I'm, I'm very much against it. And I explained it to him. If you're giving me the authority to give them a written warning, you're basically making them a direct report. And if I'm everybody's, you know, if everybody directly reports to me as the safety manager and my goal is to make everything safe, I just wouldn't have anybody come into work. No work, no work related incidents. And so, you know, they, they laugh because they think it's, it's kind of funny and they see where I'm going with it. But um, nobody is. When, when you're driving down the highway and you see the cop at the side of the road, you're not excited and happy about it. The first thing you do is take your foot off the gas and look at your speedometer to see what's going on. And that's what I'm really trying to change in the safety field as a whole. Well, and I really like that, too, because what you just said is profound and it was very simple. And I don't know if, if you caught it or some of the audience caught it. But what you said was very profound in that in that scenario. You said, hey, I just tell them no work and you'll have no work related incidents, which I think is important 
for people to see because the goal of any organization, I don't care if it's blue collar, white collar, construction, IT, if you're going to take an action to meet your mission or your goal or to get something done, risk has to come with that. And it's really, as people, our strength is how we deal with that risk. Absolutely. So in construction, um, I was taught, I, I thought it was a very interesting way of looking at it. I was taught by um, the general contractor that all construction is buying and selling risk. Um, and you take a risk management approach to it at that level. Um, and a, a good example is crossing the street. So people view crossing street, let's see, if you're at a crosswalk and the sign slashing walk, then it's safe to cross the street. But you're really buying risk because that crosswalk itself is not a physical barrier that's going to stop somebody from hitting you. That light signaling you that it's okay to cross is just a light and a signal and a sign. So that's not going to stop you from getting hit. But that's the amount of risk that you're willing to buy to cross the street. Right, because we can't make everything 100% safe. The only way we can is to not do it. Exactly. Well, and so when we're talking about these ideas of risk and risk acceptance and risk tolerance, how do you – I mean, you can't train everybody to do it the same way. You're dealing with people with different perceptions. You're dealing with people with different experience, with different physical capabilities, with different – psychological profiles and cognitive abilities. You're dealing with all these different people. I mean, especially on a place as complex as a construction site, how do you how do you kind of embed this ability to understand risk and deal with it, knowing that people are I mean, the, the benefit for people is they give us flexibility and adaptability in these systems, but they're also all different. So how do you how do you get people to realize how they deal with risk and how do you get them to deal with those risks appropriately? Is it just training? Is it practice? Is it mentorship? What is it that you found to be effective? Um, You kind of have to do everything. There's so many different personalities. Like you said, Um, you get to know the guys and you, you start to understand their personalities, what motivates them, what kind of approach works for them. Um, and, And generally speaking, I, I like to give the why. Um, And I think as a safety environment as a whole, safety profession, um, sometimes we're not so good at the why. We explain the what. Hey, you've got to be able, you got to tie off at six feet. You've got to do this. Um, But if we start putting a lot of emphasis on the why and giving that understanding, um, I think it, people receive our information and our guidelines much better. Um, So that's one of the things I really like to start with the why. And then the other part is to, you know, talk about accountability before the project starts. Accountability, Accountability is something that's brought up in orientation and it's talking about their goals, what they want to strive and achieve. And then we hold them accountable to reaching those goals. And so now accountability is a partnership rather than a discipline approach. Well, I like that. I'd like to talk about accountability a bit because I think this is another area where you've hit a couple of great points that some people, when you say accountability, 
they automatically go, and it might be part of their culture, who knows, but they, they automatically go to accountability. It means holding someone accountable, and that automatically makes their mind shift to discipline. They're trying to catch me doing something wrong. They're trying to blame me for stuff. But what you're really saying is, we talk about accountability before the project starts. We talk about their goals, which could include their why and what they want to achieve. So what it sounds like for, that I'm getting from you is accountability isn't this one person from the outside looking at somebody to catch them doing something or to make sure they're they're meeting their benchmarks. But it's really going back to what you said earlier about relationships. And it's it sounds like this this accountability that you're talking about is more of a partnership and not only outside accountability, but also this this introspective self-awareness, self-accountability. Absolutely. And so I, I, I do fashion this as an accountability partner. It's something that they've taught, you know, Weight Watchers have accountability partners for when, you know, you, you get that sensation where you're going to break your diet. Um, I know AA and drug rehab problems have mentors, accountability partners that you partner with. So when you get that mood to have someone to call, I really, that's the kind of accountability I like to establish. And you can only establish that if you talk about the goals at the beginning and that's what you got to hold them accountable to. If you don't talk about those goals, you're holding a person accountable to something that they didn't necessarily agree to. Right. I think it, what, what I'm hearing from you, it sounds like the the talking about the goals and understanding the goals at the beginning. I mean, I, I get it. It makes total sense to me that if you don't do that, you're almost holding people accountable for something they don't understand that you may have fabricated in your mind and you can see how it should be done or how you expect it to be done. And they may not see it that same way unless you have that conversation. Absolutely. And that's why in, in orientation, um, we talk first about our company values, uh, about selflessness and humility and, and all of our values. We, we start out with that and then we start to get into the required safety information that they need to have to be successful at this particular location. But we want to build in. This is who we are. This is what we want you to be as well. These are our values and we want you to fit into these values. These are our promises to us and we want you to make the same promise. Uh, this is our promise to you. We want you to make the same promise to us. Well, and it sounds like this idea of values is pretty important because if that's the first thing you start with when you onboard a new employee, you're not just giving them, these are the rules, you better follow them or you'll get fired. You start with, these are our values. We have made this promise to you, and all we expect in return is the promise back to us as a team, as a as a group, that we believe in these same things. Now, this notion of values, I think, is something that's important. I mean, in the safety realm, and the safety business, in the safety industry, we talk a lot about rules and regulations and compliance. But we don't talk a whole lot about this notion of values. And what I'm getting from you is a values because you start with that. It almost seems like the people that work in your organization, if they adhere to these values or if they internalize these values, what they're basically doing is taking these different values and using them as a 
as a filtering system for their decisions, right? They get a situation, they have a perception, they're going to decide what to do. But because you start with ingraining these values, they filter those decisions through these values. And if they don't match those values, then they don't do the behaviors. That what you're seeing is kind of this importance of of getting these values ingrained in people. Absolutely. Um, And I also think those values show that you care and you can't put a dollar to that. Um, and, and an example is for our project um, is our project started winding down and we're waiting for the next one to, to kick off. We've had to do layoffs. And before we did layoffs, we dropped down, we got rid of all of our overtime and that type of thing. Um, and there's people who had opportunities to work for another company and get that overtime and make more money because of it said, you know what? No, we're going to stay with us engineering because they treat us right. We'll take the hit on the money now. And when the next one comes up, that overtime will come back again. So it becomes a retention tool and you keep your experience. And those people then train and groom the, all the new hires that come on for the new project, some that may have never worked for us and you get to perpetuate that culture and it makes it so much easier. So uh, honestly, if you just start with caring and at that level, um, it's really going to make your company and your projects successful. Well, I really want to hit this too, because you're saying so many things that have so much value for people that I really wanted to understand this. So this is, I mean, this is a great story. So you have a project that started around, uh, kind of winding down. You first, before you started doing any layoffs, you you cut where you could. And yes, people are taking home less money. But this is what's really cool. Because of the way you treated people, because of the value system, because of how you do business as an organization, you said it yourself, they stayed because you treated them right. So they gave up money because of how you treated them. And I think this is a super, super valuable and important thing to say that, and I've said it before on this podcast, that social rewards are more important to people than monetary rewards. And it seems like this is just a one anecdotal piece of evidence that says, absolutely, if you build those values and relationships, people will stay because of that, as opposed to just going to where they can make a little more money. Absolutely. And right now we get a lot of affirmation because the project we're on is unique. It's, it's very large. And so the people that we've had to lay off have got on with another contractor working in the same location where we are. And so we still see them every day. They're working in one building while we're on another and they say hi to us. They greet us. Um, and they're talking about, gosh, can't wait till you guys start up again. Cause I want to go back. And so hearing that just affirms everything that we believe in and, and what we do. And so it just makes it so much easier to do it because you get to see the results of, of your work. Well, and this is another great point. I mean, every, everything you're saying has so many nuggets of value because you're saying that, hey, they still say hi to you. They still feel like, and I'm going to go out on a limb here because of what it sounds like to me, they still feel like they're part of your team. They still feel like they're part of your group, and they are looking for an opportunity to come back. Absolutely. Well, and why that is so valuable, I think, is the fact that 
I mean, in the in the economy in this country right now, we have we basically have more jobs than we have workers to fill them in a lot of cases. And recruitment and retention of retention of employees is like this huge deal. And people are trying to find this next program off the shelf that can help them retain people. They're trying to figure out what kind of money they can give people to keep them, all of this stuff. But what I just heard you say is the fact that you guys look at people as people, the fact that you look at people as solutions and not problems, the fact that you engage with people, the fact that you have this value system that recognizes that the people you train today are going to be your leaders of tomorrow, that is actually a retention tool to not only keep people, but they're going to tell their friends and their friends' friends, and you may actually have a recruitment tool there. People may want to come work for you as opposed to the other guy. Absolutely. Um, And especially uh, in this economy when really the skilled tradesmen have the choices, you know, they have the multiple opportunities um, more so than the hiring company who's, you know, got a hard time filling these roles. And so, uh, and with union scale, the salary is going to be the same. So they're going to be picking based on location, based on the company culture, based on the people that they know and they're going to be working with. And so um, by doing this, I'm confident that if it came down to choosing us or somebody else and they've worked for us before and that other company, that they'll choose to come back and work with us instead of that company. Well, I think that's pretty huge. And again, I think that's a valuable lesson for a lot of the business owners and uh, company folks out there that have anything to do with human resources and, and people. People aren't going to just look at the bottom line. They may they may make a certain amount here and a percentage less over there, but they are doing a value proposition on their workplace experience and what they're going to get, not only monetarily, but but socially. And it sounds like a company like where you work and how you guys do business, that's a huge part of what you do to create that culture that not only your your employees that work directly for the company adhere to, but it sounds like those contractors and subcontractors and other folks that, that on board to work with you, they get a huge benefit from that also. Absolutely. Well, and so as we kind of wrap this up, We've talked about a lot of stuff that really comes down to organizational culture, organizational behavior, organizational learning. So here's where I want to go with this for the next few minutes. You're in the safety business. You are a safety professional. A lot of businesses look at they look at safety as like we have to do it so we don't get fined by OSHA or we have to do it because it's just it's regulated and we have to have a safety person. But I know a lot of people listening are thinking you know what? Safety not only has a lot to do with safety, it has a lot to do with everything. Retention, recruitment, organizational culture, learning, training, behaviors, retention and recruitment, all of this stuff. Safety really seems like it has a hand in the success of the company, not just from a safety realm, but from all those other areas. Absolutely. And I think these successful companies recognize that safety is just integrated into the company as a whole rather than just another department. Um, 
if you just say, oh, well, that's a safety role and you leave them out of the other conversations, um, there's a lot of things that you can miss. If you're in the design phase and you don't have safety involved with it, you can cost yourself money because a simple thing like um, building a structure and there's a roof, a safety guy that's in there talking about that building can make a comment like, you know, if you install these tie-off points, tie-off anchors right here and right here, when you build this, we'll have that built in place. We won't have to buy these other systems to keep our workers safe. And you're going to start saving money or your 36 inch parapet wall. You say, hey, if you make that 39 inches, you don't have to have fall protection systems at all because it's built in there. And now you've re- eliminated a whole bunch of management and a whole bunch of uh, time, uh, a whole bunch of requirements for buying different fall protection. So there's roles where we play in every aspect of a company. No, that is awesome. I even wrote a, a blog post. I think I might have did a short little podcast on it where I said, hey, safety is kind of like the force in Star Wars. It surrounds everything you do. So <laughs> the, the more you include your safety folks, you're going to see greater benefits because safety's out there. You're out there in the field with folks. You're you're part of of everything they do from the daily meetings to the weekly to whatever trainings you have to the onboarding. It's part of all of that. So if you want a way to impact the bottom line, if you want a way to impact culture, if you want a way to really start ingraining those values in your new employees, safety is really a partnership. It should be part of everything you do. I think that's a, a really great point you hit on. And I think it's a lot. It's something that a lot of safety professionals can actually learn from it, see how much value they give to organizations and industries beyond compliance and beyond regulation. So, Mike, as we kind of wrap this up, as this somebody who who's really been experienced through safety, the military, all this stuff, what what would you like us to what would you like to leave us with? What's like a nice little nugget you can give us maybe a safety professional out there or a business owner out there that really can help them understand people a little bit better. Well, that's a tough one. It's there's so many different little things, but I think it really comes back to if you invest in the beginning um, and I'm talking when they first come on board, if you invest in the people at the very beginning and take that time in the beginning and maybe it costs a little bit more in the beginning, you're going to be more profitable in the end. Um, so make people first, especially um, in the culture as, as we're changing and we have more millennials and Gen Z's coming in They're They're motivated very differently than the Gen Xers. So um, they're looking for more of a purpose, more of a care, more of a connection. So start there. Um, and then another piece, and it's, it's my humor piece. This is where I, I view uh, safety in a team. I look at safety as the special teams in football. All right. We kick off the football games. The offenses and defenses take over from there. And if you need the special teams kicker to come out there to win a game winning field goal, then you've kind of messed up and it should never come down to the safety guy having to kick the field goal to, to win the game. So that's really kind of how I, I picture the safety team in regards to uh, a company and how uh, how they play. Well, that is, I think, great information for 
everybody to really hear putting people first, thinking about culture, because that is really, truly what's going to drive behavior. It's not how much money they're going to get, and it's not the discipline they're trying to avoid, but what really is going to drive behavior are those ingrained beliefs and that 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 ability to give them purpose and instill that value system early, regardless of what generation they're from, is really super important. So Michael King, safety manager at U.S. Engineering, really wanted to thank you for coming on to the show. You've given us a ton of value here in just this little amount of, of short time. I really, wa- I really wanted to thank you for that. Hey, you're welcome. Anytime. All right, everybody. So if you enjoyed that conversation we just had with Mike, I know you've been listening for a while or or any of the new folks that are listening. If you have a chance, if you need anything from me, if you want to find out more about uh, Mike and what he's doing over there at U.S. Engineering, just reach out to me and I can I can put you guys in contact. Please visit me at CrucialTalks.com. You can connect with me via email, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, whatever you need. I'm here for you. Also, if you can do me a quick favor, share the podcast, leave a review, and rate it. That really helps other people find the podcast so they can hear these interviews just like the one we had with Mike. Have a great week, and remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people. Please review, share, and subscribe to the Crucial Talks podcast. Visit CrucialTalks.com.